Welcome to Unboard, unplugged, unscripted board leadership. A conversation between boardroom leaders that covers leadership, priorities, and influence. Now, here's Brian Hayward. Welcome to Unboard. Today, I'm, I'm overjoyed. Is is maybe not too far off to be joined by Sue Matic, um, who's had, I think, what you'll find is quite an incredible experience, and, and I'm delighted to be with you. So welcome to the podcast, Sue. And we'll, we'll start off with my typical question. Um, so let's say we're in a building and we're kind of in the lobby and we are going up the elevator and you hit the fifth floor and I say, yeah, I'm going to the fifth floor. Why are you going to the fifth floor? What, what brings you to this table today? Well, Brian, thank you. I'm overjoyed to be here with you as well. Um, what brings me to the fifth floor? Um, curiosity. Okay. You, you're running a lumber company. And uh, a lot of people go, what? Um, how, how, does, how does somebody with your age and stage in life get to be running a, a lumber company? And I'm not even sure where, what is, what, what's the lumber for? Where does that all go? Uh, <laughs> so I run Maddox Lumber. And uh, Maddox Lumber is a, kind of an interesting company. Uh, not all lumber put it that way. Um, a lot of what we do is construction and construction is a, a huge part of what we do. Community development. We service the first nations up North and construct residential and commercial buildings. And what brought me to lumber and construction is, is my family and my father. Um, since I was little, I was on a chop saw, not that little. 12 okay. years old, let's say. He started you, me young, but not that young. Did you build your own treehouse? <laughs> with my dad. Okay. With cool. my dad. Yeah. Everything with my dad. But, uh, you know, we had a cottage in the white shell and my brother was at the beach and I was on the chop saw with my dad, handing him, you know, cedar boards to do the siding. I've always been sort of next to him and um, interested in what he was doing, curious about what he was up to and, and always hopefully helpful. I still have all my fingers. It's good, <laughs> despite the chapsa. But um, so, my dad basically was in construction and lumber, and uh, spent his life in that industry. He immigrated from Croatia to Canada in 1967, and uh, came over. And uh, typical immigrant story: came with nothing. Came with two suitcases. And uh, my mom had said if they had enough money to go home, they would have, but they didn't. So my dad got to work and uh, came home one day to my mom and said, you know what, I'm building us a house. And she said, what do you know about construction? And he traded and bartered and, and uh, convinced people to come and, do, come and do things for him. And, uh, and he built a house. That was the first one. It still stands in Transcona on oh, Berry cool. Street. Yeah. yeah. So he, uh, that was his, his, uh, his history and uh, didn't think it would be mine. I spent. So were you ordained? Was it sort of when you were growing up? Because there's a lot of family businesses, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. That where uh, there's a struggle with, with intergenerational transfer. Where it's kind of expected that, that somebody's going to be taking over the business. And, and so is that sort of how you grew up? Definitely not. Um, as a child of immigrants, I was told like many children, um, you need to get an education. You need to go to university. You need to do something different than we did. You need a better life. You need an easier life. And, and, uh, so I went to university and, um, 
and I got my first degree, uh, which implies that I have many degrees. I don't, but that was my first. Um, and- I'm going to give you the third degree, actually. This podcast is going to Be kind, Brian. Um, so uh, I went to university and had a degree in economics, politics, sociology, I don't know, some kind of BA I got. And, uh, <laughs> Not BS. No, kind of. <laughs> Anyways, um, I finished my university degree and decided to take a, take a year and go to Croatia. There was a war going on. I thought that was a great idea. It's pretty exciting. Okay. The war is going on. It's a great idea. So where's your next uh, sojourn going to be? North Korea? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Croatia. um, I spoke Croatian. It was my mother tongue. I was offered a job. Um, There was a a fellow who was touring um, um, kind of the diaspora of, of Croatian communities. And he basically, um, I talked to him after a presentation and said, you know, I'm interested what's happening back to curiosity. Um, I'm, I'm interested. Can I, what do you think? Are there any opportunities? And he said, call me. So I did. And he offered me a job. He was, uh, the, he was working with the agency for privatization and restructuring. They were taking Croatian owned companies, restructuring them and, and selling them socialist owned Croatian companies. So was that around the time when, when the, uh, the Berlin wall fell and the Soviet union was kind of collapsing? Kind Just of thing? after this was the breakup of, of Yugoslavia. Right, really. right. And, uh, Croatia had, um, gained their independence or was in the process of gaining their independence because the war was still on when I went. Um, so I finished my degree and I, I, I went and, uh, started working for, for the agency, you know, this fellow and, and I got offered another job. Um, the director of the agency was, was, uh, a fellow named Zlatko Matesha and he was, um, he had been offered a, a position as a, a minister without portfolio and called me in and said, why don't you come with me? I said, sure. I was curious what's <laughs> happening. And, uh, so I went and um, he, he'd chosen two people. I was one of them to go with him. And so the three of us created this little cabinet. We, um, we worked together closely for about three years and then he became prime minister. Okay. Changed the game altogether. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Called me into his office and he said, uh, he called me Susie. That's my Croatian name. Susie, um, go out and see what the other countries are doing about European integration. We have to do something. So I did. So what were the other countries? So I went to um, Poland, uh, went to Warsaw, I went to Estonia, and I went to, I even went to Slovenia, but uh, there were, there were the countries that had done it before us. Um, we weren't reinventing right. the wheel. So I had come back and said to him, um, you know what, I, I think in order to make this effective, uh, the harmonization process is truly a coordination of the country local governments and ministries and, and everybody. And unless there's an office for European integration that's attached to the prime minister's office that really, you know, has some clout to get everybody moving um, that in the right direction. And, and, you know, it's going to be a tough slog, but, you know, we have to harmonize economically, politically, legally. And so is there a Croatian model that was unique tailor-made bespoke kind of thing they were or did you sort of here's the european union there in brussels they tell you okay here's how you integrate here's the manual sort of 
Brian, Croatians are unique to begin with. So I'm sure everything that was done was unique (laughs) (laughs) to some extent, but we did follow a model and uh, it was very regulated. And the, the, I had left, I was, uh, I, I was pregnant with my daughter, Tia, um, just before I left the Croatian government. And uh, I produced a, a book called um, Pia. <laughs> Tia's name is not related to that, although there were suggestions that Tia's name should be Pia. Uh, it was the plan for integration activities, which was basically an inventory of, you know, the as is of the Croatian economy, um, the politics and the the legal system. I presented that in Brussels. I was about seven months pregnant and then I flew home to Canada. And um, that was the end of my road for the, for the EU um, accession for Croatia, because when I got back from maternity leave, um, there was a government change. And, uh, and I basically lost all the positions that I had. And, uh, but there's a war going on as well. The war was over by then. It was over, although Croatia was not so popular multilaterally. It was, it was difficult. Um, um, I had a, a, during that time that I was working for the, for the government, um, there was, it was a tough time to get anything out of the EU in terms of preparation and moving the country towards, um, towards that accession process. So one of the, one of the first things I did was um, I, I focused on education because they weren't giving us was they weren't funding anything else in the country. Right. And, um, and we knew we were going in that direction. So what I did was I set up a program where Croatian civil servants were able to attend universities all over Europe. And I went bilaterally to each country and said, I need a scholarship. I need two or three scholarships. Okay. So um, I set that up. And uh, first year we sent, I don't know, 20, 30 people. By the time it was in full swing, we had two, 300 people attending university programs all over Europe and coming back to work for the Croatian government. It was, it was great. Wow. It was incredible. So the, the war itself, I mean, did you ever sort of uh, had to duck a bullet or anything like that? Or how close, I mean, it's a small country. So when yeah. there's a war happening, well, you can probably close. almost hear, hear it out the, your windows. I was in the, the it's called the Banske Dvore, which is where the prime minister's offices were. And that's where my office was. And uh, it's in the same, it's in, in, in the old city of Zagreb and it is in the, on the St. Mark's Square, basically. So you'd have the parliament building, St. Mark's Church in the middle, and then on the other side was uh, Banske Dvore. And um, in 1995, I believe it was, um, there was a hit on Zagreb and I was in the building and uh, it was kind of a strange story, but I'll tell you anyways. Um, we weren't expecting, obviously, to have um, bombs and, and, and things dropping in, in Zagreb. So um, we were in the building. There was, a set, there was a sitting of the government at the time. So all the ministers and all the support staff, everybody was in the building. The building was chock full. And so the air raid siren goes off and we go into the bunkers. And there is a red phone, let me tell you. And uh, a red phone in a the red bunker. Phone in the bunker. Where is it connected? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't pick up the line. It wasn't my duty. But um, we all went downstairs into the bunker, and and here comes this lady. She's the secretary of the government, and she says, "We're going to get you guys 
the staff to go across the square into the parliament building because we have, you know, the ministers are all here and their staff is here and they're coming into the bunker. And, and I looked at her. And I'm thinking the parliament buildings are not bunkered for mm-hmm. a bomb. I mean, the fact that she wanted, you an us, <laughs> she wanted us to walk across the square and I looked at her and I said, I don't think so. How about you walk across the square? I yeah. could care less. Check that out if it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. You go first. Oh <laughs> so that and um, on the, actually on the first day that I arrived to Croatia, I had like just put my bags down and um, I was staying in a rooming house and there was a knock on the door and I go and check it out. And it's uh, AP Associated Press they're looking for a translator. And I said, well, okay, where are you going? We're going to the front. Like, this is literally less than 24 hours after my arrival. I was unpacking my bags. I said, okay, I'll go. So I went and um, the Croatian side is saying to, to this, this reporter that, yeah, it's not a good idea. And, you know, just going to the front in, in itself was just, it was really um, it was an experience because here I was in Canada reading about it and, and now I was there and it was, it was heart wrenching. It really was to see, to see what that country went through. It was really tough. So yeah, I was firsthand. Uh, I went straight to the front and, uh, and this silly journalist kept saying, yeah, we want to go in anyway. And I said, okay, you go ahead you don't need me to translate in there. So I'm staying out here. And they did, they went in and whatever they did, they took photos and videos and interviewed somebody. And, uh, and then we went home and, and it sunk in, you know, this, is, this is a war zone. Like the average person, I, I, I've been through a lot of weird and wonderful things in my life, but I can't, I try to role play or think about what's, what's it like to be, right at the top leading in, in or involved with the, the destiny of a country. And, and how does that feel? Brilliant. It's exciting. And uh, particularly in this instance, because Croatia was a new country. Yeah. They created their own diplomacy. They had nothing. They, they started from nothing. And uh, to be involved in that um, and to, to make that part of my story was incredible. And uh, the experience was, you know, I, I did my, I say my first university degree because I always thought I would do a master's degree in something. But I found myself sitting in a room with, you know, the Croatian prime minister, minister of economic affairs and the governor of the national bank and everyone else and the IMF on the other side. And they're negotiating and I'm taking notes. Does, does it ever get old? I mean, everybody's got a bad day at the office and you kind of go, you know, I take this job and shove it. Did, 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 was there ever one of those kind of days or? Never, never. I, I loved it. The, the man that, that I worked for, we're still friends today, former, former prime minister. He's now the head of the Croatian Olympic Committee. Brilliant man. I learned so much from him. Amazing. And uh, he was a true mentor to me. And uh, the experience is invaluable. So you're, you're, you know, fast forward, Star Trek kind of mm-hmm. time warp, uh, mm-hmm. go through the, the, the black hole. Now you're running. Are there things today that when you're coming to, to, to Maddox Lumber and you're going like, yeah, that where you go, you know, that, that lesson, I learned that from, hmm. or is it, is it almost like another, uh, another movie that, that, how does how does that connect to today? I think that the leadership 
diplomacy, those kinds of lessons that I've learned over the years have, have um, led me to where I am today. Hopefully I'm diplomatic. Sometimes I'm not, I guess, but um, you know, those are some of the lessons that, that I'll carry with me forever to see, um, to try and run things better, to try and be more empathetic and to try and understand people. It's all about understanding people and, uh, and making this a great place to work. That's my goal. So I, I, I can't help, I, I don't want to get into the particulars of any situation globally, but, you know, there's all sorts of things that has, have happened in the last, you know, call it few years where, you know, there's more authoritarianism. There's, you know, the, the, the beauty of the European Union sort of is, is faded a bit. How do you feel when you're seeing some of these things happen, whether it's Brexit or the Ukraine? Is, is there sort of an echo chamber happening? And how does, how did, how does that affect your, well, your thinking? And I'll be honest with you, Brian. When you say that was a different film, it was a different film for me. And um, I've spent the last 10 years with my head down building this business and haven't been overly concerned about the politics. I lift my head once a year to do the Harvard program in January. And I get so excited about the cases that I'm reading and it gives me an insight into, into maybe my past life and, you know, what's happening with the trade wars in China and, you know, some of the interesting cases that I can, I can, you know, take some relevance from, and most of them all have some relevance for me in some way or form. But, uh, you know, I, I've kind of stepped out of the politics different politics for me now. <laughs> and and is, is there any part of you that here where you were living now, whether it's city uh, or that, that inspires you that you'd like to get involved in, in back in politics even? Not here. No, no international politics maybe, but uh, I don't want to get into what my thoughts are about the Canadian politics. <laughs> No, Especially no, is, now. Well, Definitely this is unscripted, not. unplugged, and, yes. and, and, and also uncensored. I no. <laughs> there, there has been one instance where somebody dropped an F-bomb, but, the, yeah. uh, but I, that might I have refrain. been me, actually. I <laughs> so. refrain, yeah. I seem to think a lot like you, Brian. So, <laughs> so what's, what now you're looking at, at Maddox Lumber and, and sort of what, what's that look like? You're, you're building, you're, you're building houses, and is there... Do, do you have this vision for the, for the organization in the same way that you had a vision for what Croatia might become? I do. I'm, I'm always thinking ahead and uh, um, actually just, uh, I just read a, a great case, um, a Harvard case on, on Airbnb. And they talked about, you know, the, the, how they, how they handled the crisis, the pandemic and what happened to their company as a result of the pandemic. And that's not, that's not the key. The key for me was the, the takeaway and the relevance. They had a, a big discussion about uh, stakeholder capitalism versus shareholder capitalism. And I found it so intriguing. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like we need to shout it from the mountaintops, but, you know, we all in my business, for sure, I consider my stakeholders. And the future of our company is based on those relationships that we build with employees, with suppliers, with the communities that we service. So um, 
So help me take that down to another level. Is there something like, and here's how I'm actually doing it or how I'm leading our team to go in this direction. And it's like, sure. So this is how we're doing it. Um, You know, for example, we have a a first nations community that comes to see us Um, newly elected chief council. They've come and now they, they need to, to develop their community further. And although it says Maddox lumber on our door, Um, what we do is we sit down and we look at community development as a whole. We help them plan their future. We look at where they're going. We look at the priorities. We look at, um, we try and find funding proposals for them that, that will fit their future. And, um, we do all that groundwork for them. It's not about swinging a hammer or delivering a board. It's about getting to know your customer and getting to know what they need and what their priorities are and then following through. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the part, the follow through. Right. Right. So, um, so they're a stakeholder and they're important to us. And um, we're just launching, another thing we're doing is we're, we're just launching um, for our operations team in the back, we're launching a, a campaign called Own the Last Kilometer. And it's all about everything we what, do. What is the last kilometer? It's, Joe getting in a truck and delivering lumber to you. He's the face. He's the guy who carries the baton across the finish line. How important is that? Yeah. Right. So making them understand how important that last leg is. And um, they're the, the face to our customer. They're the ones who see the customer last. Yeah. How important is I, that? I, 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 you just reminded me of a book I read a long time ago, and I'm even going to forget the name of it, but it was the, the, the SAS Airlines was the worst airline in Europe. Maybe you were over there and flew them and had, had bad coffee and yeah. bad, bad Swedish sure. food or yeah. whatever. But, but um, the, the, yeah, the guy that, uh, that um, his principle was essentially the same. I, he didn't call it the last kilometer, but it was, that moment, a moment of truth, I think is what it is, mm-hmm. where the, that interaction between the customer and then the organization, it, it ultimately is, is personified in somebody's uh, discussion, the conversation, the way that they look at you, the way, and, sure. and, and they get their own last impression. Yep. Do you, you make know. them happy or do you make them angry? Yep. You only get one, uh, chance to make a first impression, right? So that's right. Well, hopefully we have many chances and many deliveries to the same people, but um, it's just, it's the importance of, of the team. It's the was it, was it, you know, there's, there's so many with the first nations uh, communities, there's some challenges and it's, you know, it happens in other countries as even as well, but um, was there any suspicion that, that, that you might have a hidden agenda or how do you overcome that? suspicion or apprehension that just be straight you know those those business relationships are are truly relationships and people say business is business i don't think so i think business is personal Uh, i like to work with people that i like i like to get to know the people that i work with and that works hand in hand and just be honest and be yourself and 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 help where you can 
And, you know, when, when I say we care about our communities, you should see this place at Christmas. It's chock full of gifts. We have a little plane, we drop off gifts, we make sure we have something for the elders and something for the children and a couple of turkeys and whatever else. And, um, you know, we, we do our best when, um, when our suppliers um, are looking at co-op dollars or marketing dollars, I say, you know what, why don't you put some jerseys together for up north? You don't do any advertising up north. Mm-hmm. I said, but what about that? What about just contributing to, you know, some of their events and some of their, the, the things that are important to that community. And so I sort of line them all up and, and facilitate that. So we give, we get our suppliers to give and, and we do our best to develop that relationship. Well, I, I, Rick Powers, who does the uh, director training, uh, is, is a, a fan of puns and, and, and I'm a dad and I'm, I love dad jokes because <laughs> oh, no. they're, Oh no, here we go. And so, so actually I was just thinking in, in closing and uh, a fascinating conversation that, um, you truly Maddox lumber, Sue, you are demonstrating board leadership. <laughs> <laughs> Great, Brian. <laughs> um, this has been fantastic. Um, I thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Unplugged, unscripted board leadership. This is Unboard.